All right, let's look at our scripture for our sermon that can be found on the back of the bulletin or on the screen. This is 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 17. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church that are having a lot of problems uh, with division and dissension. And uh, let's hear what he has to say. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The word of the Lord. Well, we continue to follow the aftermath of the earthquake in Turkey, where now it's estimated that 40,000 have lost their lives. It's a a tragedy of tremendous magnitude. And as they are analyzing what what happened, what went wrong, well, obviously there there was an earthquake, but why so many dead? And it has a lot to do with poor construction. Uh, The buildings, the way that they were created, the way they were made, uh, were not able to stand the stress of the test, if you will, of that earthquake. And it's very interesting. You see this pretty much throughout the entire nation of Turkey, except for one city, Erzin, uh, Turkey. Residents and officials say that Erzin suffered no deaths and saw no buildings collapse in the powerful earthquake. And they credit it to a longstanding determination not to allow construction that violated the country's codes. In other words, these codes were in place, but it appears that nobody was following them to the nth degree except for Erzin, Turkey. And the reason they were following them was the insistence of the current mayor and previous ones not to allow buildings that failed to meet construction codes to be put up. And whenever they realized there were buildings that had been illegally built, they would get them taken down. 
Local people said some were very mad about it, the residents living in those buildings, but the mayor held firm, knowing that a major earthquake could come one day. It's estimated that some 20,000 people have flocked to Erzin since the earthquake, swelling the population 50%. It's become an aid center. In other words, people see it as a place of safety in an unsafe world. Now, why am I bringing up this uh, illustration, this picture? It's because of this passage, right? Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and he's saying that the church in which you are a part of and the lives in which you live can be likened to buildings. That this church, not the edifice, but the people itself, and your life is a building, and each one of us as Christians are actually builders. We're building the, the, the church, and we're building our lives. And one day there will be a test, a day of judgment in which our work will be tested. Now, he's speaking to people who are Christians. He's not speaking about the test of salvation. He's speaking about the judgment of our labor after salvation. In other words, what we build in our life on Christ, there will be an examination. Will what we have built survive or will it fall? And the answer, of course, is it depends. It depends on what kind of building you are building. Are you building a monument to the kingdom of self or are you helping to build the kingdom of God? The message that Paul has given us in this passage is simply this, that Jesus, his grace has freed you and I to serve a greater kingdom than our own. And therefore, let us pursue building his kingdom that what we build will stand the test. Well, how do we do that? We need to do three things. Number one, we need to reject a fleshly life, a life dedicated to the kingdom of self. Number two, we need to pursue building a kingdom life, a life that will last, so that number three, we will receive a heavenly reward. So let's examine these things. Number one, let's look at rejecting a fleshly life. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and he says in verse one, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, if you remember last week in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul communicated to the Corinthians that the wisdom of this world is foolishness. And people who follow the wisdom of this world have no idea, they cannot fathom the true wisdom that comes from Jesus Christ. It's only through the Spirit of God, which the Corinthians have received, that they can understand and live a life that they are supposed to. So he's told the Corinthians that you have received the Spirit of God. And yet he turns around in verse 1 and says, but I could not address you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh. Notice he doesn't say people in the flesh, but of the flesh. There's a big difference. What he's saying is you are of the flesh in that you are letting yourself be controlled by the natural human impulses of the fallen life rather than the Holy Spirit. 
He doesn't use the word psychikos, that's the Greek word, to say that you're a natural person, but rather he's saying that you're acting like a natural person. In fact, he goes so far as to call them infants. Now, I thought it was good to receive the kingdom of God like a little child, right? No, he's not talking about being childlike. He's talking about being childish. In other words, the gospel has not penetrated into their hearts. They have not submitted to the leadership of the spirit of Christ within them. They're acting just like the world. Paul goes on in verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. See, the irony of this is the Corinthians actually thought that they were wise. They thought that they were learned. They thought that they were mature and understood uh, what Jesus was about. And so to tell them that, he's been, that they're infants, that he's feeding them milk, must be a slap in the face. But what he's saying is you've been relying on your worldly wisdom and your ability. And by doing so, you've cut yourself off from the power of the cross. Rather, by relying on yourself and your own ambition, the result is arrogance, wrangling with one another, personal ambition. Now, I want to make something clear where Paul is saying here, I fed you with milk, not solid food. Paul is not talking about a two-tiered gospel, if you will, which was kind of back then there were these mystery religions, you know, there was this baseline teaching and then there was this secret teaching for those when you got mature enough to hear. Paul is saying you don't start with the cross and then leave it and go on to deeper things. Rather, what he's talking about with solid food is understanding more and more the implications of how the gospel affects and changes our life. You know, when I became a Christian at 18, I thought I knew everything about Jesus Christ and his grace. But now that I've matured in Christ, I have a much deeper understanding and appreciation of the cross and of Jesus's grace. But we never leave it. We simply go deeper into it. But Paul is saying you're not even ready for milk. You're not ready for solid food, most certainly, because the diet that you are eating is a synthetic substitute for the gospel. A seawater gospel, if you will, if you remember from last week. Water that seems drinkable, but rather kills you. Verse 3, Paul goes on, For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? See, here is the proof. If you want to know, has the gospel penetrated into my heart? Look at your life. Is your life characterized by jealousy and strife? Like the Corinthians who are searching to be in the in crowd. See, that's what's going on in the church. When they're saying, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos, really there are these factions that have crea uh, been created in the church. And ultimately, what they're doing is jockeying for position and influence in the church. Paul says, are you not acting human? 
which we have to scratch our head and go, well, aren't they human? He's talking about the old way that you used to live, the way of the world, right? The way of the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. Paul goes on and says, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? In other words, these people that you're putting yourself behind, these factions, what are these guys? He says, they're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. In other words, if you're following them, why aren't you acting like them? The way that they see themselves as servants who are about the business of Christ, not themselves. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. They actually are referring to themselves, Paul and Apollos, as humble farmhands. And far from being factions, Paul is saying our work is complementary. There's no rivalry between a planter and a waterer. The field is not a battlefield. In other words, following Christ, in following Christ, we no longer have to be the center because we have a new center. Jesus Christ is the center of our lives. See, what Paul is saying is that there are two kingdoms that we will follow, either the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God. And the world is all about the kingdom of self, isn't it? Started at the beginning with Adam and Eve, when the serpent came to them and said, you don't need to follow God, you can be like God. You can get him out of the picture. You can be the center of the universe, and the world can be all about you. And what Paul is saying is, has that really worked out? Have you ever met a happy, selfish person? Have you ever felt joy and happiness when you've lived a self-centered life? I love this quote in the beginning of the bulletin. It says, of all that have tried the selfish experiment, let one come forth and say he has succeeded. He that has made gold his idol, has it satisfied him? He that has toiled in the field of ambition, has he been repaid? He that has ransacked every theater of sensual enjoyment, is he content? Can any answer in the affirmative? Not one. See, my friends, we were not designed to live for the kingdom of self. It's not the way that God made us. And that is exactly what the gospel has done. It has freed us from our preoccupation with ourselves being the center of the universe. Colossians 1.13 puts it this way. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, if you are a Christian, God has moved you from one kingdom to the other. And that we no longer have to live for ourselves, but rather for him who died and rose again for us. In fact, that's what we were made for. But we see that the Corinthians are not living this way. And this shows us a very uncomfortable truth. That I can hear and receive the gospel and yet fail to appropriate the gospel into my life. 
I can continue to choose the way of the world and to impede the grace of God moving in my life by resisting the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In other words, I can live a life at odds with what I believe to be true. And the result of that is not only in my heart dissatisfaction and discontent, but with others' selfishness, arrogance, and pride. As they're doing this analysis of the poor and shoddy construction in Turkey, what they're discovering is how this came to be is really greedy contractors skipping and skirting the laws in order to uh, increase their profits, as well as bribes that were given to government officials who looked the other way so that they could go ahead and enrich themselves because of their position. In other words, that's the way you do things in Turkey. See, these people were focused on one thing, themselves. And the results of that are widespread death and destruction. See, the question you and I have to ask in the pews today is this. A, am I a Christian? But if I am a Christian, am I living a fleshly life? See, there are two kingdoms in this world governed by two different kings. And each one of us is being led by one of them. One gives freedom and the other gives misery. One king leads to love and the other leads to self-absorption. So we must examine our own hearts. Have I heard the gospel? But has it not penetrated to my life? Have I somehow managed to insulate myself from it? So much that it's not really changing me at all. That my thoughts are more about the pleasures of this world than the joy I have in Jesus Christ. Is my life a life in which I am continually the center and it's all about me and my kingdom? Or is it about him and his kingdom? Because the reality and the truth, my friends, is this, that God and Jesus Christ, his son, is enough, is more than enough. In fact, is who and what you are looking for. There's a saying to never follow a God who cannot satisfy you in a jail cell. And if Jesus isn't enough for you, then you don't know Jesus. So evaluate your life. What am I doing and why am I doing it? Because Jesus' grace is the only thing that frees me to serve a greater kingdom than my own. Therefore, let us pursue building his kingdom so that what we build will stand the test. Let's move on to our second point. How do we build a kingdom life? Let's look back at Paul and Apollos who contrast themselves to these divisive Corinthians. What then is Paul, Apollos, verse 5? What is Paul? Servants. In other words, they have a new vision, a different vision than the Corinthians, a different focus. It's about God's kingdom, not theirs. 
And they're excited to be a part in building it. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Notice the humility of Paul. It's been said of humble people, truly humble people, that they don't think less of themselves. They simply think of themselves less. See, that's the wonder of when you give your heart and life to following Jesus Christ. You don't have to be first all the time. What Paul is saying is we're not anything. It's rather all about him. Notice the difference between them and the Corinthians. The Paul and Apollos don't have to be first. The Corinthians do. Paul and Apollos are servants. The Corinthians aren't serving anyone. Why are they different? It says, he who plants, verse 8, and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. See, the reason they're different is because they have found someone worthy of giving their hearts, their lives, and their energy to. The one who gives them wages. The one who gives them dignity, worth, and love. It's God. It's the, he's the one who hires the laborers. God is the one that determines and distributes the rewards, and not the field, not the Corinthians. In other words, they're no longer looking to the world for satisfaction, for recompense, for reward. They know that that comes from Jesus Christ. For we are God's fellow workers, Paul goes on, and you are God's field, God's building. What Paul is saying is God is using us in your lives, Corinthians, to bring you to maturity. And you, my friends, who are believers in Christ, are a field as well, the field of Redeemer Presbyterian. And God is using me and using each one of you in each other's lives to build one another up. Notice in verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. See, Paul has laid this foundation of the gospel in the Corinthians' lives. Just like someone has laid a foundation of the gospel in your life, if you are a Christian. And now other people are building upon it. So for instance, right now, I'm building upon that foundation through preaching and teaching and instruction. But what Paul is saying is that this building is not limited to people like me, pastors and teachers and apostles. <clears throat> in fact, our job is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, isn't it? In other words, you guys are builders. Notice what Paul says, that each one of us should take care how he builds. We see later in the scriptures that in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. In other words, each one of you has a role 
and a responsibility in helping to build God's kingdom in our lives, in our families, in this church and the world around us. Notice in verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Paul is saying we all build something in our lives. But what is it that we build? In other words, how you live counts. And when you think about it, how could it not, right? My actions have consequence in God's kingdom. And my actions, my labor will be judged on this day of judgment. Now, notice that this day of judgment, this fire, this purpose of this fire is not to punish. It's not to refine or to destroy, but to disclose the quality of the work. He's not talking about the judgment of believers and unbelievers. So there will be two judgments, if you will, for Christians, a judgment of the Christian and a judgment of their work, of their labor in the Lord, of what they built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Notice that the work is tested, not the person. And as this work is tested, we see that there are materials of value and there are materials that are cheap. There are materials that can stand the test and those that cannot. If anyone's work is built up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So there's some where their work is tested and that work will last and they will receive a reward. But there's others where they'll see the work of their life go up in smoke. Now notice that they are saved. This isn't about salvation, but as through fire. In other words, what they spent their life on as Christians did not last. It did not have impact of the kingdom. See, Paul is telling the Corinthians this and telling us this because he wants us to think about our relationship to others in the community, in the church community, in light of the final evaluation that each of us have before God. God has created us for more than simply living for ourselves. He wants to work through us to build his kingdom, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian, you are a member of a new family. And with great privileges come great responsibilities. I am my brother's keeper. And is my heart prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So what is it that I am building in my life? You know, if there was an earthquake like the earthquake in Turkey, in the United States, there would be radically different results. 
And the reason there would be radically different results is because of the building codes that we have that are strictly enforced in the United States. I want to show you, I want to become a master builder for a while. They started putting this, I don't know when, I'm not a contractor, but these are what are called hurricane ties. Okay? Now, what is a hurricane? It's like an earthquake. It's the same kind of thing in terms of the building is shaken. But what a hurricane tie does is it ties everything to the foundation. Okay? So this is a foundation bolt. And notice how it's, it's jade there. And so when you're pouring the foundation, you actually sink this in. So when the foundation's hard, it won't come up. And when the building begins, it starts with a plate, something like this, where the wood is directly tied to the foundation. But it doesn't stop there. As you continue to build the building, at each important juncture where the house continues to build, you have to use these. They're hurricane ties. And the goal of these is to continue to translate the security and the structure all the way down to the foundation. So everything is tied to the strength of the foundation. See, am I building on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or am I building from the foundation? What's the difference? Well, I can build on the foundation, but not tie to the foundation at all, right? Now, this is building from the foundation. In other words, the basis of this house that I am building, the way I conduct my business, the way I spend my time, the way I spend my money, the choices I make in what I watch and what I read and who I care for and how I love in what I say, am I tying them all to the one who made me, to the one who gives me life? Or am I simply building what the world says to build? We must build from the gospel because at a time, our work will be judged. And I don't know about you, but I want to make it count. I don't want to see all that I've done simply go up in flames. That in reality, it really was just all about myself. It wasn't about him at all. So recognize, analyze, change if you need to, adjust and adapt. Because we will receive a heavenly reward. This is my final point. Now, I want to stress again. He's not talking at this point about salvation. He's not talking about salvation. We know in Romans 8.1 that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There is another judgment that we see in Revelation 20, where we see, it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. But if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. See, the dead, the, those who are not in Christ, are judged by their works. Those who are in Christ, as far as salvation goes, are judged by the work of Jesus Christ.
Jesus has already endured the day of fire so that we would not have to. But is this scripture saying that there are varying rewards in heaven? In other words, you've maybe heard this, right? You know, whatever I do here, it's going to have eternal consequences. I'm going to have more responsibilities, more rewards, more value, and so on and so on. And there's some Christians that believe that. And I am not one of them. Many people look to the parable of the talents, for instance, right? Remember the parable? There's these, uh, a guy that goes off and he gives some money to three different people. One takes the money and, and he gets one and he, and he gets uh, a return of 10 and the other one gets a return of five. And then there's that guy who buries it. And we see in the passage that when God is talking to each one of them, he talks to the one who has 10. Well done, good and faithful servant. I will put you in charge of 10 cities. Come and share in your master's happiness. And of course, we know the wicked servant who is punished. People have taken that parable to say, okay, well, you'll get more responsibility and so on. That is a very dangerous game to play in terms of taking parables out of their context. Notice that the parable at the very end, it talks about the one who has many and the one who has been unfaithful. It leaves out the middle guy. Why? Because the parable is about faithfulness. It's not about return on investment. Parables are written in such a way to, to make a specific point and to pull out of them what is not intended in them is a very dangerous thing. But what about this, that there's crowns that you're going to get and you can get more crowns, right? If you live in a better way. That again is a mistranslation. Uh, 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 translation. The crown is always a metaphor for the glory of eternal life, not a specific reward aside from salvation. So what is Paul talking about here with analyzing, uh, 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 judging our work? He's not talking about varying degrees of reward that extend on into eternity, but how God will judge and reward each person's work according to whether it was founded in Christ. In other words, our own condemnation before God for how we did with our work. So what is the reward? No one is exactly sure. But this is what I think it is. The satisfaction of seeing the difference that my life made in the kingdom of God. I'll say it again. The satisfaction of seeing the difference that my life made in the kingdom of God. My first date with my wife was to see It's a Wonderful Life with George Bailey. Remember that movie? where George Bailey gets a gift, right? The opportunity to see what life would be like if he had never been born. And at the end, he realizes that I did have a wonderful life, right? And that he embraced it. I think that God is going to give us the opportunity to see how each little thing that we did for him mattered in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 puts it this way. Therefore, dear brothers, stand firm. 
Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Each of us don't make it to the finish line without the other. We are instruments of grace to each other. And I think we're going to get the opportunity to see when I cared for that person in the lunchroom if you're in high school, when no one else did, the difference that made. When I made that decision, when I denied myself that temptation and through that grew to be a better man in Christ. And because of that, the way that I shared and represented and cared for someone else, that made a difference. We all are each building blocks, helping one another to grow in ways that we have no idea. Sacrificial and generous giving, enduring difficult circumstances while trusting him, living faithfully and with good motives, persevering under persecution, living after God's heart. We're going to get an opportunity, I believe, to see how each one of it mattered. See, my friends, everything and everyone in human history is headed toward a day of reaping, even if it does not seem obvious. Does that mean I have more responsibility and opportunity and things in heaven? I really don't care. Anything that God gives us is his grace, isn't it? What do we have that we did not receive? The point is, am I living my life in such a way that it's about him and not about me? Jesus' grace has freed me to serve a kingdom greater than my own. Therefore, let you and I pursue building his kingdom, that what we will build will stand the test. And one day we'll get to see, I believe, that it did make a difference that it did matter. Let's pray. Oh God, free us from our self-absorption. It's only your gospel and the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to your grace and your love that we might see that you are what we are looking for, that we might build our lives on you and you alone. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Now we continue our worship through our offering. We have placed offering plates in the foyer. If you wish to give an offering, you may do so after the service on the way out. If you're new to Redeemer, don't feel compelled in any way to give. Rather, as the Lord directs you, we're simply glad that you're here. Let me pray for our offering. God, use our offering uh, to continue to build this church and to support the ministries, uh, Lord, that we do for the glory of your name. And we pray this in Christ's name.